Hi, I'm your host, Charlene Burns, a researcher with the ProLegis policy team. Welcome to the Congressional Record, a podcast by ProLegis. Each week, we bring you a deep dive into Congress's policy priorities. In this podcast, we'll cover the processes unique to the first branch of government and discuss some of the pressing policy issues legislators are working on. To stay on top of new podcast episodes and to get additional policy content from ProLegis, sign up for a free ProLegis account using the link in the description below. This week, we're coming to you a little early with a special episode of the Congressional Record. Jason Lemons, the Director of Public Policy at ProLegis, had the opportunity to interview Shoshana Weissman of R Street about the challenge of content moderation and regulating online platforms. As social media platforms have evolved, how people use social media has changed drastically. What used to be a way for people to stay in touch with friends and family is now a key information source and platform for political engagement. This has only increased the number of content moderation decisions they face and the difficulty of keeping up with engagement on the platform. Due to these challenges, there has been increasing interest in reforming or repealing the law that governs social media platforms, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. In this interview, Jason speaks with Shoshana about social media policy issues and the challenge of content moderation, discussing the changing of ownership at Twitter, how All Trails exemplifies the small-scale challenges of content moderation, and why Section 230 may not be the answer. Stay tuned for the interview after the break. Prologis is a new policy technology company founded by former congressional staffers and startup alums. We have one mission, to offer free tools that make it easier to learn about, track, and deepen your understanding of policy issues and legislation. We offer free features such as U.S. code redlining and a personalizable dashboard to track the legislation and congressional activity that matters to you. We also offer nonpartisan, unbiased information through our briefings and podcasts. Sign up for a free account today to get full access to the suite of policy tools on ProLegis.com. Hi, and welcome to the Congressional Record Podcast. My name is Jason Lemons. I am the Director of Public Policy at ProLegis, and I'm guest hosting today's episode and have the pleasure of speaking to Shoshana Weissman from R Street about content moderation and social media policy. Shoshana is the Digital Director and Fellow at R Street. She manages R Street's social media and other digital assets and works on licensing reform, social media regulatory policy, and Section 230, among other issues. And she's written for various publications, including the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Washington Times, and why we're here today, she has a wonderful journal article for the Western New England Law Review on today's topic titled Online Content Policy, What Legislative Proposals Aiming to Rein in Big Tech Need to Grapple With. Welcome, Shoshana. Thank you for taking the time to be here today. Thanks so much for having me and to maybe being the only person who read my law review. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To start us off, I'd love to talk about Elon Musk's recent takeover of Twitter. What I've taken from the ongoing episode, despite, you know, the doom scrolling shot and Freud of watching it unfold, (laughs) is how hard content moderation is for social media companies. Can you talk about some of the issues that Elon Musk's faced in his short tenure and and what it says about how challenging it is to do content moderation? Well, there's just so much. There's a lot of like basic human issues in it because content moderation is just about people. So 
he's had trouble. Like, it's, it's kind of funny because I remember when he joined and got owned Twitter, as soon as he joined the ownership of Twitter, he's like, free speech is back. But he keeps firing employees for saying legal things. And I'm not saying there's not fiduciary responsibility issues. Like, of course, you might want to uh, fire an employee who criticizes you. But I think it's a little different in his case. All of it's legal, but it's um, it's a little different in his case because he's out there you know, tweeting his uh, train of thought about how he's managing the company. And when you're an employee who's been there a while, a while you're going to have thoughts and replying publicly isn't outlandish. Or even internally, he fired uh, people who replied on internal threads and external threads for criticizing him. And again, it's a hard thing, you know, even moderating a uh, an employee message bar- board, you know, you have to take into account these things, fiduciary responsibility, but also maybe they're helpful. Maybe they disagree and they're obnoxious, but they contribute something. Um, you know, they're not just spamming him or being obnoxious. They're really actually saying something of value, even if it's not in the way he wishes it were said. But it, it, it's a hard challenge. And there's all different sides because you have the illegal content, the scams and spam. And I know people are going to say scams are illegal. But scams aren't always illegal at their start. It's often fully legal text and messages, even if the further intent isn't legal. So there's a million things to manage. And it's really an an unenviable job. And many people had warned him he didn't listen. So now he's just going to be like the most hated guy in America, kind of just like how Jack was for a while. It's strange to me that he didn't internalize that beforehand. And he might grow it into something great and start taking better advice, start learning and growing. But uh, so far, it's been a lot of unforced errors that he should have been able to see far away. It's not an easy job. Yeah, no, I, I, it's definitely not an easy job at all. And I, I still enjoy Twitter, but you know, it's certainly, I don't mind seeing some of the comeuppance he's had around, you know, the way he's talked about how Twitter was handled, and then having to actually deal with it as the owner of Twitter. You know, obviously, he started off by saying comedy is now legal again as soon as he owned it and then immediately with the verification issue you saw the rise of parody accounts and accounts that were were parodying him specifically um and being taken off there one of the other angles on that is misinformation disinformation challenges that you know have existed for a long time on all social media platforms regulating that obviously there are it's both a challenge and there are a lot of gray areas Well, it's all a gray area. Um, You could say something, um, you know, that you were going to murder someone. And it could be like, oh, I'm so angry at you. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to murder you. Which I know is a weird thing to say, but plenty of us say stuff like that. Or you could say it and totally mean it, um, even if it's not an actionable thing and and it's not illegal in, in, um, you know, in its context. It might still be something you don't want on the platform. Or um, it might be a joke. It might be like, uh, you know, someone um, someone really, you know, someone proves you wrong about something and you're like, I'm going to murder you, something like that. Um, and it's, it's all different contexts. It's hard to tell. Context isn't easy, even for AI. We like to think AI can solve everything, but it's not there yet. Um, it's, there's so many uh, examples of AI failing, which is totally okay. It's going to. And as it builds, it's going to get better, but it's not quite there yet. There's also... Um, all different levels of it, you know, uh, libel is a hard thing to determine. There's a reason it goes to courts and people are like, oh, well, why do they have a libel on their platforms? And I'm like, all right, well, how do you know it's libel? Has it gone to court? Is it something that rises to that standard? Because we all like to think all lies are bad. Well, you know, some people might argue for white lies and not, again, not all lies are illegal. Many don't rise to the standard, even if they are lies. Um, and there's a lot of complexity here. It's hard to tell this stuff. It's hard. And everyone thinks it's going to be easy. I used to actually be one of those thinking, oh, these platforms just aren't doing their job. They're just not trying hard enough. 
And uh, I did this exercise. I'm like, here's some stuff that content moderators face on a daily basis. And I'm like, oh, I don't know the answer to like any of these. Like, it was really interesting to see. And there's also more uh, nefarious stuff where like a lot of parents tweet out photos of their kids or on different platforms, post photos of their kids at the beach, totally normal stuff. But there's certain accounts that when you do it, you can tell that it's like really sick stuff and that it might not be stuff that when posted by a grandma is like anything bad, but when posted by some weirdo on the internet, there's something more nefarious there. And in those cases, they have to report it to, um, I think there's a couple of places, but one of them is NickNick, and it's to help track down children who are facing abuse, either if they were abducted or it's from their parents or from someone else. There's a lot of serious consequences here. And you, you want to try to, of course, avoid reporting the wrong things there. You know, someone who's actually just posting a photo of their child at the beach. Um, but it, it's, it's not always easy to tell that context and you wanna to try to get the stuff right, especially when the stakes are high. Um, and then there's just all different other classifications. There's fraud, even for scammers, you just, you can't know upfront, a lot of them are scams. Um, the ones that come into my inbox, um, I would often you know reply back and mess with them to see what I could figure out about them. And most of them tried to get me off the platform onto places that weren't quite as moderated. Um, so it would be like, oh, give me, um, you know, your signal number, give me your WhatsApp typically number. But everything until that point was totally normal. It's like, oh, I'm stuck in this country. Oh, I have a great deal for you. But none of that in itself is, is fraud. It's not a scam. It's just you don't know where it's going. Um, but uh, platforms can often catch that stuff early. The, the first line of a lot of these in my inbox was, hello, my dear. Again, from your grandma or grandpa, they might say, hello, my dear, or someone who's not very familiar with our, our language, as was the case with a lot of the scammers. So there's a lot of complexity in figuring this stuff out. They got very good with it, impressively so, because I could understand a lot of this stuff, just not that they couldn't figure out how to do it, but they, they did. And unfortunately, it started to unravel under Elon a little bit. I like the scammers in my inbox. I like messing with them. But uh, for most users, it can actually pose real danger. Yeah. And, well, and especially with the scammers, generally what I find is they're clearly operating under a numbers game where they yeah. blast out spam as to as many people as they can. And they hope to get a response to, hey, dear, or hey, my dear. And then of that percentage, they hope to get a positive response from some smaller percentage. And it's, it's just about doing scamming at scale, it seems like, yeah. which, you know, is part of the challenge of content moderation is doing it at scale as well. On another angle, one of the things that I really appreciated that I saw in your, and surprised me when I was reading your journal article was the mention of all trails as a yes. uh, another <laughs> example of, you know, challenges with content moderation. And I think from what you talked about, and you could talk about this more, like it brought up some of the, the differences in scale of the challenges that companies face. Yeah, to my knowledge, uh, All Trails doesn't do a transparency report, which is fine. It's smaller. Um, I had only hoped that they did because it would be interesting for me to look through and like learn about. But uh, there's a lot of scams for getting, um, you know, when national parks are sometimes you need reservations and uh, stuff like that. So th that's a, a common kind of scam. Um, but it's it's hard for them to know, is this a scam or is this someone who just can't use their tickets anymore? There's no way they can know. And to go one by one with a relatively small team, that's a ton of work. And uh, it would make it so they're, they're, what they're doing is profitable and they wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Profitable is a good thing. We want people to make money doing cool stuff. And it's always going to be a bit of a wild quest until we get perfect at the stuff. But as you evolve um, coming after scams, the scams evolve, unfortunately, which is why they no longer fully occurred in the in my inboxes and then tried to move me to WhatsApp. But with all trails, they also probably want to get rid of political content. If you're like, vote for this guy, 
not helpful. I want to know if there's bears on the trail. Like it's wildly <laughs> useful when I had, um, there was, so there's this trail in Glacier National Park. I wanted to do Sia Summit and it looked beautiful. And all the reviews talked about this bear named Sally. So I was like, okay, if I hike this, I'm probably going to run into some grizzlies, but like, I'm a little more mentally prepared. I know. And I did. And it was 30 feet away and it started walking towards me and I thought I was going to die. I didn't. But I was a little more prepared and I was like not going to miss my bear spray that day because <laughs> um, it's just so useful and it's all user generated stuff. It's similar to Wikipedia, except it has comments and stuff, but you can go in and edit the trail. People are pretty responsible, or at least it looks that way. <laughs> Maybe they're just moderating really well. But the challenges they go through are going to be so different from any other platform. It's not going to be the same kind of scams probably in the inboxes. It's going to be um, other forms of stuff, probably phishing too, you know, any any stuff to get your login and, and the password you use for 40 million things, which you shouldn't do. Um, but it's it's funny how it, has how it hasn't been politicized by the government in the same way, but there are a lot of bills that the government's introduced that would entrap all trails. Like it, it would uh, ensnare, I shouldn't say entrap, ensnare all trails. And it's, uh, it's funny to think about that, that when they're like, oh, Twitter is evil and bad, okay, well, this bill applies to all trails. So like, are you like, is that the intention? Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's certainly interesting to think about the different scenarios where any form of user generated content generally will cause you come into content moderation challenges. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and you touched on this, like, there has been a ton of fiery rhetoric around, you know, reining in big tech, but also just, I think, giving a voice to frustrations that people feel using social media platforms, because they are everywhere these days. And there's been action or at least discussion on multiple fronts. Um, and maybe we could start because I know there's been some action in the states. What have states been doing on social media and content moderation policies? So they've been doing a lot of really unconstitutional things. Like there's, I don't like to invoke the Commerce Clause, but there actually are Commerce Clause issues, which like if you hear a libertarian being like there's Commerce Clause, like then there's really Commerce Clause issues, um, which is, really, really interesting with some of the stuff. But um, yeah, it, uh, Texas and Florida are trying to restrict the ability of platforms to moderate their content, um, especially in a partisan way. But like, oh, do you know if it's partisan? Someone could be like, oh, I hate Mitch McConnell. Okay, well, some Republicans do, some Democrats do. Or like, oh, vote for Trump. Well, some Democrats want to vote for Trump. You know, you don't really know. And there's no such thing as neutrality. Everyone has a different mindset. Um, everyone's like, oh, simply be neutral. That's that's easy enough. But it's not. You're always going to be biased, even if only a little in some way. Um, and also, they have the First Amendment right to be biased. Like, yeah. moderation is speech. It's been understood as speech in a, in a bunch of different contexts. But um, yeah, these these states are just getting, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a partisan game. And it, they shouldn't ensnare companies in this. It, it's important. Free speech is important. I don't often like the things platforms do, but they still have the right to do it. I said it under Jack and I say it under whoever was, I forgot who was before Elon. And I say it under Elon, like, you know, I'm not going to like the things they're doing all the time, but it doesn't really matter. Um, I, it really kind of stresses me out to see how, uh, how little politicians care about the first amendment right to moderate as they see fit. Yeah. And, and, obviously presents a lot, a host of challenges when you're thinking of large technology companies that are global being regulated by an individual state with, you know, fairly large requirements that theoretically only apply to that given state. Yeah. So they're, of course, at, you know, regulating the nation by state, which is, again, commerce clause -y. There's some stuff there, but it's also just dumb. Like, I, I don't, 
there's so much stuff to think through and uh and it's it's a partisan game they it's so blatantly unconstitutional the way they're going about it too the other uh, privacy regulations really have that effect too i think um because i think those tend to be a little more constitutional not always actually but at least closer to constitutional and um and they'll have those effects too but i i don't like the idea of regulating national things through the states and usually i'm like yeah send everything back to the states but when things are global it's kind of hard to do that I, it's when you add regulatory complexity, not only is it going to hurt the larger platforms, but more, it'll kind of help them because the smaller upstarts won't be able to comply with 70 different localities, various laws on this in different countries. Like you just kind of kill innovation. And I don't want that. Twitter right now kind of sucks. And if something better came along, like everyone's talking about Mastodon, okay, like that can work. I don't really care. I don't care if these companies stay around. I just want good things to work. And I don't want regulations to get in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know at least in the, the state context, I guess the Florida law is going before the Supreme Court and they're going to be hearing, holding a hearing on that coming up. So it'll be interesting to see what, what comes from that. Um, yeah. At, at the federal level, obviously, there's been even more fire and brimstone, but also a lot of real policy discussion about, you know, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And that's sort of been the focal point. Can you talk a little bit about what, maybe provide an overview of what Section 230 says, and then also sort of why it's the focal point for this conversation? Yeah, all, all 230 really says is you can't hold companies liable for the random stuff users do, which is like, just like it is in the real world. We're all, we're all responsible for our own stuff. And just because someone posts liable or some other illegal material online doesn't mean that the platform's liable especially if you think about it at, um, at, the, at the bigger end and at the smaller end. So there's billi literally billions of posts on Twitter and we think they should be liable for every single thing they miss. That's crazy. They make a good faith effort to really try to get rid of this stuff. And um, then like little guys, like if your mom has a blog and someone posts something illegal, she would be liable. They're kind of going through something like that in Australia now, which is really weird. Um, and it's not just you know, if you create your own website, it's Twitter. If you retweet something that ends up being liable, you, know, you thought it maybe was a, a news article, you shouldn't be liable for spreading it if you thought someone was telling the truth. Um, or if you didn't realize it was illegal, it was it's the person who spoke the thing who should be liable for it. Um, and that's that's how it ought to work. Um, so it, it's everywhere from Twitter to your mom's blog to all trails, basically any place where you're posting content um, that, uh, that the platform didn't contribute to. So, um, if Twitter edits my tweet, okay, that's different. Or if Twitter, uh, set adds a warning, that's Twitter speech. So it can be liable for it. If, um, if Elon Musk posts something on Facebook, he should, he should still be liable for it. And I think it makes sense because the case that actually caused the law to be enacted was it's wild. Um, I, I didn't even realize this until like well into my work into this, but it's pretty crazy. The Wolf of Wall Street sued a random guy who called him a fraud. I'm not even kidding. Um, he posted on this really old platform called Prodigy and he's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're BS, they're frauds. You can't trust the Wolf of Wall Street and stuff like that. So he sued and uh, I went before a judge and uh, and they went to Prodigy and they said, well, you said you guys moderate and your platform's family friendly. This one thing on your whole platform isn't family friendly. And the judge was like, yeah, it's not family friendly. So the Wolf of Wall Street, who was a fraud, won. And now, in addition to some other layers here, you can kind of see the 230 protects whistleblowers. Sure, they still could have gone after the guy, but they couldn't go after the platform for allowing whistleblower speech. 
Um, even if it ended up being false, it's still, there's no way for them to know this stuff. You can't be a judge and jury in all these cases millions of times a day. Um, but, uh, but basically the, the implication too was that if they didn't moderate, they wouldn't have been liable. So uh, touch nothing, allow the worst stuff, allow lots of illegal stuff in a lot of cases, and you're fine. You have no liability. You didn't make a good faith effort, so good on you. Oh, but you try to keep your website friendly and uh, you know try to keep illegal stuff off it. How dare you? Now you can go to court. And 230 also means they can't be dragged into court for this stuff, which is really good because could you imagine every angry tweeter bringing uh, every you know, bringing Musk, bringing Zuckerberg into court all the time, Mastodon, whoever's, I don't know who's running it, but whoever is running it, they probably don't need this crap. Like, oh my gosh. Um, so 230 just keeps responsibility with where it, it should be. And it works just as it should. And uh, it was a bipartisan, uh, a bill that created it from Senator Wyden and uh, uh, Representative Chris Cox. And it, it, it's held up pretty well. Again, I, I tend to be very critical of regulations, but it's a good one. It, it puts responsibility where it should be. And it's centered to all this because when people are mad, they want to draw on everyone and be like, oh, everyone should be liable. And it's like, ah, maybe maybe the person who said the thing should be liable. And uh, and that's just how it should be. The, the you know, personal responsibility, that's, that's a good concept here. I definitely remember doing some research back when sort of the discussion around Section 230 started going, reading the law and expecting to find some, you know, mini paged, legal document that was very hard right. to determine but it's you know it's about a paragraph with a, a few bullets afterwards so i was people just don't read they're like go, they'll go on and on about it and i'm like you haven't read this have you it's like <laughs> a paragraph like oh my gosh please just read yeah no uh, it's it's been interesting and i've been surprised to see how much both you know i mean in when it's congress you always have fiery rhetoric and it's but i've been surprised how much there have been very concrete proposals to either reform or repeal the legislation um who would you say are sort of the key players that you've seen in congress around proposing reform or repeal of section 230. so amy klobuchar tends to be like the main one she's kind of always on proposals it's not just 230 it's also like antitrust stuff, but she's proposed some unconstitutional laws here and there, like health misinformation, like misinformation isn't illegal. That's fully legal speech. You can't just call it misinformation and say, oh, this can be regulated now. It's, it can be bad and it can be not great, but it, it doesn't mean that lies are uh, illegal. Um, so she's a big one. So Chuck Rastley has been on a couple of these. Um, let me think, Ken Buck in the House. It's, it's a real mix. It's people on the left and right, and they all have their different focuses. Uh, liberals tend to want less speech online. Uh, Republicans tend to want more. But it, it kind of goes back and forth depending on the issue and stuff, um, it, which is, it's always an interesting dynamic. So it's unfortunately a little bit of everyone, except for Ron Wyden, who's always trying to be like, I know what I did here. You guys can like chill out and like talk to me if you have questions. Um, but no one talks to Ron Wyden. Everyone just stresses him out. And, and yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely broad interest in engaging on Section 230. Have you seen it skew party lines or are, there div are the divisions usually internally within parties? Um, it's kind of like each party just has its different, they, it's like the divisions are internal, but also the divisions are like what they want to go after. Like, is it misinformation? Republicans think it's dumb to go after misinformation. Democrats want to. And then, um, you know, with uh, with moderation practices, it tends to be not exclusively, though, but more Republicans who are like, oh, you should moderate less. But there have been Democrats saying, oh, well, you got rid of this trans speech. Why did you get rid of this? And it's like, oh, my gosh, you can't litigate every single content moderation decision that was every that ever made. There's been bad ones I've faced. And I'm like, I just 
log off, like log off sometimes. Like there, it's a real touch grass moment for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, the divisions don't fit neatly. There's uh, politicians who will sign to uh, bills that contradict each other. It's just a very, um, uh, there ought to be a law moment. Just the guy in movies who yells that, that's like what all the politicians are handling this like, unfortunately, because it's serious and deserves serious consideration, especially when it implicates the first amendment. Definitely think it's one of those issues where there are so many technical complications from changes to the law that are both very challenging to understand and far reaching. Yeah. That, you know, allows it to be an easy and, and also the law, honestly, is just so short. It allows it to be yeah. um, easy to sort of have a lot of rhetoric and heat on without necessarily it doesn't go well in a campaign speech to talk about what it means to change and how it'll yeah. impact the internet and things like that, you know, which, you know, Section 230 is obviously given rise to companies like Facebook, like Twitter. It's what's enabled them to exist as platforms for user generated content that are engaging and, you know, produce the network effects that have made them scale so much. Yeah, nuance is really bad here um, because the real nuance is, you know, grappling with the effects of changes. Well, a lot of people like to pretend that nuance is, oh, well, we'll keep 230 except for like, let's say libel. Okay, then you can still drag them into court and that defeats the purpose of the law. The whole purpose of the law is you can't drag them into court. You can say truthful stuff was liable. They're just not going to want to be dragged into court, even if they're going to win. How many thousands or millions of dollars is worth it for them to like, you know, go off on this one decision? It's not... It, that's a real cost. And the whole the whole thing here is keeping them out of court unless it's their speech. And that's that's a really, really good standard that saves them a ton of legal money. Um, I just couldn't imagine if like every, you know, every uh, company was sued for the way that users treat its product. Like that's crazy. And not like if it, if they say, hey, do dangerous things here. Like, okay, that's one thing. Um, people made a lot over the Snapchat filter that had uh, um, you know, the miles per hour thing, but like that's Snapchat speech where it adds that filter. So if that's encouraging something bad, that can be treated on its own. What users do with it can be understood as like, okay, well, they added the feature that, that says this thing a little bit more. So it's a little bit different there. Or um, I'm trying to think of another good example. There's this great case, the roommates case, where uh, people, they, um, I think they had race. You could select which races you were okay with as roommates. That violates housing law. So then providing that option was illegal. But if users then um, filled out the like descriptive section with things that were illegal, that's different because that's their own speech. But if they're like, yeah, discuss what genders and races you want as roommates, like that's, that's illegal. So they were you know, the, the, the website's decisions there and the website's speech were creating the problem. So I feel like it's, um there, there's real nuance here, but there's so many people who pretend that nuance is, oh, just change it a little without grappling with, okay, but then they're going to get dragged into court and that's the whole problem. And, and I think that touches on one of the next points I wanted to bring out. And I, I found this both the most thought-provoking and the most interesting point of your journal was the, the fact that reforming is repealing. Yeah, just like I said with bringing them back into court, because a big part of 230 is keep them out of court unless they are the ones who created the speech at issue. Um, so if you alter it, you're pro I mean, there's a couple of ways to alter it, but one big way is, okay, well, they'll only be liable for this stuff, or they'll only be liable for this stuff. Well, then again, you can say whatever thing you're angry about is that stuff and drag them back into court. Someone being mean to you online is liable, or... Um, I'm trying to think, uh, or or uh, some something actionable, actionable bad speech like to to do harm to someone was um, 
you know, uh, you can say, oh, well, that's that's their problem, even if they had no knowledge of it. So it kind of defeats the purpose of the law. You can keep dragging them back into court. Um, and then, uh, okay, well, they have to earn Section 230 protection. Well, how the hell are they going to earn it without it? Because, okay, let's say you have to, you know, just for example, let's say you have to take down at least um, 0.5% of all posts in order to, uh, you know, be in order to qualify for protection. Well, without protection, if they take down posts and leave up other stuff, they're liable for that stuff. So then like they can't ever earn it because they're they're in risk of liability there. Um, so that's a problem. Or uh, a lot of them say, okay, you only get 230 protection if none of this thing is on your platform, like scams. They don't know which things are scams. They, you know, they start on the platform and go elsewhere. And so there's there's no way they're going to earn it. Most of the things that say, okay, in order to earn 230 protection, you have to do this. But this is just impossible. It's not something that's based in reality, unless maybe you have a platform of five people who you have self-selected. Like outside of that, there's just no way to make it work. Um, and uh, and people keep uh, people will often say, oh, you're you know you're being histrionic. Like this isn't you know the real. Uh, effect of it. And I'm like, it, it kind of is. It, it's like, I'm not going to just go off on it because I like 230 and I do like 230, but it's, there's a lot of complication here that I don't think people grapple with. And and really, this is one of those laws that like, you can't carve something out. It's, I, I've often said, um, and when you carve up 230, it's not like taking a few M&Ms out of a bowl. All the M&Ms are still good. Like it's still normal M&Ms because they're made from like a lot of chemicals, but it's more like cutting open an avocado and then just like setting the piece aside. That's not going to be a very good avocado for a long time. And 230 is one of those things that functions more like an avocado, which maybe I like because I'm a millennial, but um, regardless, I like it. Um, and it, it really does function that way. Um, I do like using that analogy because it's silly and stupid and funny, <laughs> but it is really how, how it works. Yeah. Well, and I think that brings us to one of the interesting parts of this discussion that, that surprised me a little bit when the news came out. So obviously Facebook has has pushed for reform or maybe even repeal of Section 230. And I saw that Zuckerberg testified uh, to Congress, you know, about last year with their proposal for how to reform the law. Like, what do you think their perspective is on why they're open to reforming a law that really allowed them to, to scale and come into existence? And, and what's their game, I guess, is my question. Regulatory capture. I mean, like, it's regulatory capture. <laughs> Facebook tend to do, tended to do a little bit more of that. Um, and I've, it's something that I've actually given a lot of platforms credit for that they've tried to avoid it, that a lot of times if they support something, they're trying to support the least bad thing. But with Facebook, it's like very regulatory capture, which I don't love. I really, really don't like it. A lot of people think, oh, well, regulations are good. You know, the more the merrier. But um, really, when it comes down to it, a lot of regulations are just regulatory capture. They make it so no one else can compete with the big guys, which is also why I'm so opposed to it, because like, I don't care if Facebook lasts forever. I want something better to come along. And I know there's a lot of social costs to switching or whatever, but maybe they'll make it easy. Maybe they'll make it easy to switch to their platform. So I just, you know, when, when you see platforms out there kind of being like, oh no, regulate us. There's, it's not always the case, but often they're like, they know they can comply because they don't need to be regulated. They can just do the thing. If they're not doing the thing, the reason they want the regulation is to stop competition. Um, it's the same kind of thing here. You can have bad actors working functionally under the law, um, but the best way to stop them is competition. It's like, you don't need more laws. You need to enforce the ones you have. But um, oftentimes that's the case. We have enough laws in the, the books and they're just not being enforced. 
or um, the thing they're doing isn't great, but it's not illegal. And it might be better to stay that way um, because the, the requirements to, uh, to make it illegal can sometimes be crushing for the next generation of companies. Um, well, I think that about covers what I wanted to hit on in this discussion about content moderation. You know, it's obviously, I think it's one of the things that Congress is incredibly focused on and surprisingly bipartisan way, even though maybe they're not all coming from the same perspective. And it seems like there's a decent chance, although maybe less so now that the Senate isn't flipping, that social media legislation will at least be on the docket in the 118th Congress. Um, so thank you so much for this conversation. I First off, do you have anything that you would like to plug for our listeners? Oh, man. Um, as long as it's around, I'm on Twitter um, I, at Senator Shoshana and at RSI is our street institutes. You can get to everything else through there, but rstreet.org has everything. My profile there pretty much has all my work. And um, if you're going to follow anyone else, follow Mike Masnick. He does some really good work here and uh, often does more than I do. I don't have the time for this. Mike, he'll put out like five blog posts a day. And I'm like, how are you doing this? Like, I don't have the energy or like mental stamina here. So I'll plug those. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is a great capper to this. I, I thank you again for coming on to this. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is awesome. And I hope you take care. So it was good to talk to you. Same here. Thank you. The ProLegis U.S. Code Red Lines feature uses advanced technology to show you at a glance how legislation changes existing law. This powerful free feature doesn't exist in any other service available today. In a side-by-side -side view with a column of bill text on the left and relevant sections of the U.S. Code on the right, you can easily identify additions and deletions in the U.S. Code. Section headers that follow along as you scroll and an expanded column view make side-by-side -side reading easy. You can even upload your own bill text to ProLegis to view how it interacts with existing U.S. code. Sign up for a free ProLegis account to get access to the U.S. Code Redlines feature today. That's all for this episode of The Congressional Record. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to sign up for your free ProLegis account if you haven't already. You can go to ProLegis.com, that's P-R-O-L-E-G-I-S.com, to find additional show notes and sources for each of our episodes. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Our handles are in the episode notes as well. We'll see you next week on The Congressional Record. Congressional Record.